Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that continues to surprise everyone about how good it is, much like RCB this year. I'm your host, Benny, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mayank. Hey, everyone. And Nish. Hello, everyone. Well, Himanesh is not available this week, uh, but we will be speaking with Arjun Dave, who's the current team coordinator of the Rajasthan Royals, about his journey from coaching youngsters to working in the star-studded Indian Premier League. But first, we need to talk about something important. Now, if you're a regular listener of the Last Wicked podcast or follow the podcast host on Twitter, you know that we love our IPL action. You know, watching, tweeting, and talking about all of our favorite players facing off against each other for a frenetic few weeks every year. It's, it really is one of the highlights of the year. You know, something we always look forward to. And this year is no different, or it should have been. Uh, over the last several days, it has been increasingly hard to focus on all the cricket when there is a pandemic ravaging the country the tournament is being held in. So even if you're not in India right now and you've not seen the heartbreaking visuals coming out of the country, uh, you must have heard or come across news coverage of the alarming rise in cases as well as deaths due to COVID-19. And in this context, uh, there has been an increase in chorus of voices are questioning the coverage of the ongoing IPL and in some cases if the cricket should even take place. Uh, so we at the last wicket just want to take some time here to share our thoughts. Uh, so Mike, why don't you start off? What, what do you feel about this ongoing debate? So it's a tricky one for sure. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is before the IPL started, um, I remember reading a report saying seven or eight groundsmen at the Wankhede tested positive. And, you know, at that point, overall India numbers seemed to be under control. Um, so it, it seemed like it was a one-off case. But I remember reading somewhere, you know, somebody suggesting, well, might just be better to have it in, you know, Dubai, like we did in 2020. And that wasn't, in my mind, that wasn't a bad suggestion. Obviously, like, moving a tournament last minute is a very, very difficult thing. But considering where we are now, um, I think there's a few things that the teams can do and should do. Um, obviously, it's not 
the cricketer's fault or the franchise's fault of, of of where you know india is currently but at the same time you can understand people who've you know either been affected directly or indirectly or have had you know loved ones who are waiting for tests while these cricketers are you know with their families in the bubble getting tested every other day or i think it's every 3 days i, I don't know the detail exactly and all these tests are being you know separately kept for these cricketers so that indefinitely is one aspect which um you know i can see why it impacts the general population and something that ipl team needs need to think about so i don't necessarily think that it should be cancelled it should be you know just uh, you know the tournament should just be scrapped for this year uh, i do see that a lot of people are using it as a distraction in these painful times and you know everybody copes in different ways so if it um, if it acts as a distraction for even one person it, it's it's doing its job but at the same time what ipl teams should do in my mind one is shortening their you know squad because if we have 30 people squads and then another 15 people as support squad um there's 45 right there then there's probably families so you know if 60 people are getting tested regularly on a, uh, and you know getting taken care of then it it's definitely taking um not just for one team by the way so you know eight such teams it's obviously taking up a lot of tests which could have gone to the general public so my thought would be maybe ask all teams to you know work with the limited squad this year limited support staff this year that way the others can you know the especially you know some of the youngsters some of the even overseas players who are not really used to much um can just stay away and and um stay safe where they are and and all those tests can be used for the general public you echoed a lot of my own thoughts there uh but nish what what are your thoughts um i think personally um you know following games um when you know in the in the limited time when i'm on twitter which i'm not these days for various reasons um but in the limited time i'm there my flat timeline is completely you know it's pretty surreal to see it's either completely devoted to cricket or it's just people retweeting asking to spread the word for the need of ventilators and you know beds and other equipment that we need to uh help people in need right so um as far as the ipl going on um i i see both sides of the i'm going to sit on the fence here a little bit um because uh, people are you know all holed up in their apartments and houses there's a lot of anxiety build up you know which we in the us went through um last year and still going through in some parts of the country so i can totally relate that when there's nothing to do some sort of an escape for your stress right and that's where the ipl fills that vacuum um and i think uh, arjun also made a good point which we'll hear later on about you know the economic um impact of not having an ipl going on because there's a lot of um um people that are reliant just like the premier league right like if if it doesn't happen it it cascades down to other parts of the country and the economy and you know some clubs uh, in in the uk you know are very close to administration and financial ruin right so similarly it can affect different families and lower income households in a very negative light as well so i see both ends of the spectrum um i don't think uh, we need to or the authorities need to call it off just yet while being you know very carefully monitoring the situation as well um so yeah i think we just have to play this by ear and do what we can with in a position of privilege to help those in need yeah i i, I agree with 
I mean, both of you made very similar points. And my personal thoughts on it, uh, when this debate just started to pick up over the last few days, my initial thought was, please leave the IPL alone. Let's not stop it. And it's, it's selfish, right? Like, I don't live in India right now. Uh, all of my family and friends, they live here in the United States. I have a few relatives in India. Um, but you, you can say, oh, it's easy for you to say while you're sitting like thousands of miles away that the IPL should go on. Um, but yeah, it was selfish because I love cricket. I, I love IPL and I want it to go on uh, regardless whatever else is going on in the world. Uh, but, you know, over the last few days, I've been seeing like tweets and like messages from people I respect, whose opinions I respect uh, about how it's been hard for them to to really not just watch cricket, but hear about cricket at the same time as, you know, all these visuals that are coming out uh, of India or all the news that's coming out of India. There's this cognitive dissonance of enjoying cricket or enjoying IPL on one hand. And on the other, you see all the suffering and all the misery. And, you know, that got me to thinking. And I was like talking about this with my wife too, uh, just trying to trying to think of it dispassionately and trying to see if this is something that is needs to be seriously thought of. Like, should, should the IPL continue in a time like this? And honestly, after the, the last few days of thinking about it, um, my, my thoughts, and again, I'm not saying it's all correct. This is just my opinion. I think the IPL should continue. I think the games should continue. The coverage, I think, uh, and I think it's, we can, we're seeing that difference in the last couple of days it needs to be toned down in terms of just the way the games are presented as if it's like the most amazing thing and rather spend more time spreading awareness about what people need to be doing. And I think they are, they have been doing that, doing that over the last couple of days where the commentators have been talking about or repeating the fact that people should wear masks and get vaccinated, practice social distancing, stay home. Because these are the, the things that they can tell us right now. Uh, but the other things that I was thinking about, well, if the IPL is suspended, what difference does it make? How is it? Is it helping society? Is it helping people like, you know, in terms of health and safety, does that make a huge impact or difference? I mean, if you're uncomfortable with the IPL going on, then probably don't watch it, right? Like, these are like the thoughts that that popped up. And like you guys mentioned, there's also the economic impact. I remember last year in the U.S. when all of the sports tournaments and leagues got canceled, especially college sports. Uh, working at a university hospital, I remember the impact it had on uh, people who are employed specifically for the purpose of the college sports. People lost their jobs. People lost their benefits. And it was huge. It's not just about the players. It's not just about team owners as such. It's about the people who work behind the scene, people whose income depend on these once a year kind of tournaments. So this yeah. is actually helping people too, um, apart from the actual cricket itself. And that is why I think it's important for this to continue. And like you guys mentioned, it's also a distraction for people uh, you know, Ponting, I saw an article earlier today that Ponting said the IPL can still bring people a lot of joy. And I think that's true. People process tough situations and lives in different ways. I, for one, like to get distracted. I want to get distracted and not focus on all the awful things that are going on. 
And, you know, the pandemic has shown people get anxious, people go through depression. And if there is something, it's just like you're watching a movie on TV or you're watching a TV show, you're distracting yourself. And why cannot cricket be one such medium? I mean, those are just my initial thoughts. I'm not saying that all of these are correct, uh, but this is where I'm coming from. And I suspect a lot of people, you know, who are tweeting about cricket or who are watching the IPL, they are along the same lines where rather than sit home, because all that's all you can do right now, stay home and just kind of, you know, doom scrolling on Twitter or just constantly watching the news and getting depressed or frustrated or even helpless. Um, it, it's just nice to be doing something else. And, and we'll talk a little bit later about how we, what we can do to help. Um, but these are just my initial thoughts about why I feel like the IPL should stay or continue, but with changes, of course, we need to tone down the coverage and understand the context of what is going on around us. Right. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, but, um, you know, I like the fact that you mentioned the opposing view, right? What happens if it is it does get canceled? And objectively speaking, apart from, you know, the medical experts who are um, all aligned to help these players, these, you know, families, support staff, Apart from freeing those few people up, um, and I don't know the numbers, so maybe there are hundreds of people, uh, for all we know, uh, but apart from freeing up those hundred odd people, um, it doesn't really do anything else to help the ongoing crisis. If there was, you know, canceling um, the IPL would help in some other way, I, I could still see, you know, the sense in that, which is why in, in my mind, the middle ground is sort of trying to minimize the usage of those resources. Uh, so that they can go back and serve the public, which definitely is in bigger need right now. And um, at the same time, continue to those who need, uh, you know, who are just sitting home, who are in isolation, who are in various states, but just need some sort of entertainment, um, continue to be entertained for them. And I think the other piece that is probably worth thinking is, you know, when I watch the IPL, I feel like there's Every 30 seconds, you know, if somebody sneezes, there's a sponsor for that sneeze as well. So, um, you know, maybe work with some of the sponsors and say, we will, you know, let's say, I don't know what their man of the match award is. Let's say it's two lakh rupees. Um, maybe say, could you increase that to two lakh 50,000 and every game that's an extra goes to some organization, which is helping, um, you know, helping the COVID response, whether it's right. making oxygen cylinders or something like that, because, Think about 50 games, um, and I know we've go, we've gone through what 16, 17 already. So still 40 games. That's still a good amount of money, and I'm sure these, um, you know, these companies would would be happy to take that goodwill, just do that good, goodwill gesture in the name of sponsorships. That's a great point because if you see the awards that are being given every match, you're like, why did you have to create a separate award? For that like it seems redundant there's like four or five different people uh different players getting awards for stuff that's really that's their job <laughs> you know <laughs> getting sex shouldn't you know get you separate anyway in an, in, an, in another year it doesn't matter it's just one of those quirks of the ipo right. but in a year like this where it's important to stay grounded and be aware of what people and when I say people, most of them are probably cricket fans uh, who are going through all of this. These are people who probably in another year would be watching the IPL and abusing one of the teams or the players. But 
you know, people are struggling. Cricket fans are struggling, their family, their loved ones are struggling. So to be aware of that, this is what we, this is what they can do, right? Like we are talking about, well, if they're not going to, if they're going to still continue playing the game, then what else can they do to help in their capacity? And I think you brought up a great point. And I read this uh, article in Crick and Folio today, um, a couple of suggestions that they had was, you know, sponsored distribution of N95 masks or hand sanitizers or setting up vaccination camps. These are great ideas because the IPL is run by the richest cricket board who can definitely afford to do that. Uh, and the sponsors too, you know, the, all the money that they're putting right. towards giving, giving, it's, it's actually they're kind of throwing money is what I would say, throwing money at cricket players for just being there on the field. Use that money uh, for good. And this other interesting thing that I've I, noticed, I'm sorry, Nish, go ahead. I just had a quick point here while, you know, we're discussing the impact of COVID all around. Um, we should also bear in mind the welfare of the players as well, especially the foreign players who have no family or any sort of like, you know, uh, support. Yes, these players are, you know, like, you know, very highly paid and looked after. And uh, this, you know, from the outside, it looks like their life is a bliss, right? But it's not always the case with um, bubbles and having to travel uh, and, you know, living out of a suitcase for so long, right? So it's... Um, Something to keep that in mind as well when we discuss whether the IPL should go on or not. It, you know, it's. I think Andrew Ty pulled out recently, if I'm not mistaken. He just left earlier today or yesterday. Right. He left the Royals, citing anxiety, I believe, over the bubble life. Right. So it's it it, it impacts us all in different ways, and obviously, you know, it just this pandemic has exposed the false lines that already exist between the rich and the poor. So the, obviously, the poor are much more impacted than the rich, unfortunately. And that's that's a good point because we were just talking about how what the BCCI can do, what the sponsors can do. Um, but I've also noticed, you know, on social media that people are going after a very favorite target, which is the players themselves, right? Like Indian players. Well, what are they doing? I don't want to get into the politics of it. You know, they have got their fair share of criticism recently for for some of the things that they have said and not said. Um, but in this case, specifically when it comes to the pandemic, you know, people have been up in arms about why aren't the players doing more. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that there are players who are doing uh, their part. We, we have seen Harbhajan Singh, Ravi Chandran Ashwin, and I'm sure there are a lot more players, especially in the last few days, who are kind of amplifying tweets uh, or posts where people are seeking help finding oxygen cylinders or finding beds. Um, these cricketers are using their platform in the right way uh, to spread awareness and get the help that's needed. Um, so they are doing their part and it's important to acknowledge that. And that is something that I think more players should be doing short of just you know not playing. Because again, keep in mind, this is their livelihood too. It's like someone telling you, well, you cannot do your job. Uh, well, if you don't do your job, you're not getting paid. Um, so it, it, you have to keep in mind, it's not a black and white issue where, oh, look, we're all going through the suffering, so we don't have time for games. Well, it may just be a game for you, but it's a livelihood for that player. Uh, so I think it's unfair, right. uh, to just say you can't play cricket at a time like this. Let's all just, you know, not do anything else, but just, you know, accept what's going on right now. I think people can do whatever's in their capacity, uh, to help. Uh, one another. 
Uh, and I think players, this is what they can do, just given the huge platform they have, given the huge following they have, uh, they can use their platform to get help for people who are in need. And um, yeah, so yes, and, and, I, and we saw that in the coming days, this may affect participation in the league anyway, because as Snish said, we saw Andrew Tai uh, leaving earlier. And then I heard uh, that a couple of other Australian players are also kind of itching to head home uh, because of the situation here, but also the fact that in Australia, I think they're trying to kind of close their borders or trying to limit travel uh, from India. So a lot of this may not even be in the IPL's hands, you know, as players wanting to leave and go back home and situation continues to get dire, their hands may be forced and they may have to suspend. But in the current situation, I think keeping all of these factors in mind, I think it's reasonable that they continue to do what they do, uh, which is play cricket or organize these cricket games. But at the same time, be aware of what is going on in India right now and do their part uh, in the capacity and the privilege that they have to help people. Right. I think the one one last piece I'll add is, um, you know, when criticism is laid on the cricketers, and many many times it's fair, um, but you know, people will always look at the 17 crore Virat Kohli or 15 crore or whatever his price tag was, Chris Morris, and say, "Come on, he's got enough money to not worry about this." But really, not every average cricketer in the IPL earns that. The truth of the matter is, a lot of these under 19 stars who are you know young uncapped players for them this is their chance to make a career and even getting a couple of good seasons makes a big difference to their livelihood and that's only players think about broadcasters think about um, all the people behind the scenes from groundsmen to um, you know producers and all, all those kind of people who go do all their work behind the scenes they're not paid in the millions for sure they're not paid you know, in the crores or even tens of lakhs for that matter. Um, so think about them as well and the impacts it has on them as well um, before, you know, just making a abrupt decision, I guess. Yeah. And one more thing, you know, in defense of players is anxiety and depression don't differentiate in the poor, right? It impacts everyone equally. It doesn't matter. It doesn't go by your paycheck, really, right? Yes. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know the science behind it, so I'm not going to go into the... Um, social strata and all those things but from a lay perspective you know i i was personally impacted by coronavirus and you know my, com- my previous company had to, had to go through mass layoffs and i was impacted by it right but luckily i was privileged enough to you know bounce back and you know had a good support structure but not everyone is privileged enough to do that so i think it's very easy to sit and comment from an armchair perspective you know but um Really, this sort of pandemic is once in a generation or once in 100, 200 years event, right? So we really don't know what the right level of preparedness or reaction is, but we're all trying our best and, you know, we should continue to um, double down on whatever we can, uh, those in a position of privilege can do. Um, and then before we end this segment, do, do either of you have any thoughts on what we can do? you know, as a podcast or just as individuals, uh, what we can do as people who are living abroad, um, but it doesn't matter. We have loved ones back home in India uh, or just friends back in India. Do you have any thoughts on how we can help, uh, what we can do from our part? Right. I, I think what I've done is personally so far, I've bookmarked some of the resources that, you know, I saw, I know there was a COVID-19-twitter.in or, or some website like that. I forget the exact 
address, but I bookmarked that. And whenever I see um, some extended circle posting on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, I, I'll try to search. And, you know, because they're, they're probably posting because they're in a position of, uh, you know, desperation. So instead of just sending them the link, I try to do my bit. And if I have a little bit of time to search and say, hey, this is what I found, uh, which seems recent in your city, try calling this number, maybe, maybe it helps. And that's, I, and, and again, like I, I understand we all have jobs to do. We have full-time jobs, we have family and all of that. So I can be sitting and doing that 24 seven, but at least whenever I have a fee, free 30 minutes, I, I try to do that, um, just catch up. And I mean, I think sitting away, obviously the one other piece that's worth considering and I'm definitely thinking about is monetary contributions. So I've been looking at some of the foundations that have been going around um, on, on social media who are saying, you know, we're doing this, we're helping buying oxygen cylinders, helping with uh, free meals um, to, you know, people who are stuck somewhere, um, who are in a bad situation. And um, yeah, we're, we're just, you know, maybe even if it's a small contribution, make that so that we can uh, continue, uh, you know, doing something, even if you're sitting so far off. Nish, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I- I agree. And, you know, we will also look to, um, through our Twitter handle, do our part in, you know, spreading the awareness as well as uh, maybe, you know, I will look up as to how to maybe set up some sort of like, you know, fund. I've never done this before. I've just like doing it directly. But if we can pull our uh, time and some thoughts into setting up a fund, then definitely we'll look into it. I would recommend our listeners to continue following um, us at the last wicket so they are aware of where they can donate. Well, we are going to leave that here. And, you know, I just want our listeners to understand that, you know, while opinions on this issue may differ, we can agree on one thing, that is IPL or no IPL. It is absolutely imperative that we accept the reality of the times we live in and do our part to not just keep ourselves and our loved ones safe, but also we need to look out for one another and help those in need in whatever capacity we are able to. So the last wicket, as Mish mentioned, will continue to put out content and share our thoughts on social media for those who are looking for some respite from all that is going on around us. But we will also do our part in sharing and disseminating information that could save a life. So thank you for sticking with us and let's get through this together. Our guest this week is someone who has made a career in sports management. He's a former head of cricket at Six Cricket Community, one of the academies at Padukone Dravid Center for Sports in Bangalore. And currently he serves as team coordinator for the Rajasthan Royals and also as a partner at Cricket Central Store that specializes in cricket equipment and merchandise. Here's our conversation with Arjun Dave. So Arjun, first of all, uh, welcome to The Last Wicket. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Benny. Looking forward, looking forward to engaging in a conversation with you guys. Absolutely. Well, the first thing, though, before we get into anything else, I have to say I just found out that you used to play cricket for St. Joseph's in Bangalore. Yes, that's right. I captain St. Joseph's. So yeah, Wait, was... is that the school or the college? Both. So I, I passed out of St. Joseph's Boys High School uh, in 2005, then went on to PUC and then did my uh, commerce in Commerce College. Yeah. Do you know that I used to study at Bishop Cotton Boys School? 
Uh, I don't know why I agreed to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was not sure if I should bring that up because for those who are not familiar, St. Joseph's and Bishop Gardens had, I don't know, I don't know if they still do, but at least when I studied, uh, probably during the same time, they had this. It's just that cotton's got a lot weaker, so the rivalries, you know, it's, it's gone down. And you know. I understand. I can understand. I left and probably the rivalry kind of dropped out too. <laughs> but... Uh, so I'm hoping that we can still be on good terms by the time this yeah. call is over. Yeah, I'll put that aside for now. <laughs> um, thank you for joining, Arjun. Um, so I know you wear a lot of different hats. You know, you've been um, head of cricket at um, Six uh, Cricket, and then you've been the team. You are the team coordinator for Rajasthan Royals. Uh, you're also a partner of, um, of merchandise and cricket goods store. Um, so tell us a little bit about your journey. Obviously, I know, I know you, as we talked about, you started at, uh, like many of us, you know, playing cricket for uh, at the school level, at the college level. Uh, tell us how you, you know, got started from there and how, you know, you got to this point. Well, like almost every young kid growing up in India, the dream was to play for India. I mean, that's how it all started. Like Benny mentioned, I was in St. Joseph's, played a lot of cricket for school, uh, went on to play for Karnataka under 15s, under 17s, captain the state. Uh, so cricket was definitely a big part of me. And my mom was a big, big cricket fan. So she was like, you know, it's okay if you don't study, just go ahead and play cricket. So, <laughs> <That's all. laughs> well, it was kind of nice to have the support. It kind of sometimes pushed towards more than support. You know, kind of financial <laughs> push, but you know, parents never put pressure on the academic spirit of it. Uh, and I was fortunate enough uh, to have that kind of support from them. And so, cricket was really a big part of growing up. Um, moving on to college and stuff, so I had a couple of lean years uh, from the playing front. But after I passed out from Commerce College, I kind of told myself, "Let me give cricket a couple of years. Um, let me give cricket a couple of years where I can really push, work hard." Again, thanks to the support of, of my parents because there was no real pressure to, you know, make ends meet and quickly get into another course or anything of that sort. So I said, okay, this is the opportunity. Let me give it my last two years. If something works out or if I'm going in the right direction, I'll continue. Otherwise, otherwise no. And I started off the season well, got a few runs, but very early into the season, I kind of injured my shoulder. And, you know, for another six, seven months, I couldn't really lift my shoulder. And that's when I said, you know, this is probably a sign from God to kind of kind of move on from playing. And But I still wanted to be connected with the game. Um, and that's when I kind of approached Carlton Saldana, who, who used to run a sports management company. So that was really my... And he was a Josephite, so there was no real interview. As soon as I said, I'm a Josephite. And I got the job going. So that was that was my start into the into the whole sports management industry. At that time, obviously, it was very new in India. Um, still very not not really organized and stuff. But but this was about ten years, yeah, about eleven years back. So it was kind of a risk I took. But I definitely wanted to stay in touch with the game, and and that was really the beginning. So yeah, worked there for a, for a couple of years uh, with the KPL and stuff, and then and then went on to do my masters in England. Uh, did my sports management, played a little bit over there, came back. And yeah, started, it, there was a, there's a funny story about how I got to start working with Rahul Dravid in the first place. So I was coaching at an academy. His son used to come there once in a while. Uh, he would he would turn up, he was very young then. So he, he would turn up once in a while and I'd met Rahul a couple of times. Again, another Josephite, Benny. Um, very sad <laughs> to hear that, but yes, very familiar. <laughs> so yeah, so... I'd got to know a little bit about, I mean, a little bit of him and, you know, he had, he had known of me, heard of me and stuff. And then what happened was after he retired, he turned up for a club game. 
he turned up to play for his club uh, the match was against us so uh, got to this ground and and you know, raul is there already he's in his whites he's warmed up i'm feeling embarrassed here i'm reaching the ground after raul raul has reached the ground uh, so it was a, it was a two day game on a on a rubbish ground in bangalore one of those mud grounds and it was it was a nice experience it was a two day game it was an amazing experience so i kind of blogged about it and that went viral uh, and raul reached out then saying you know i'm looking for someone to look after my stuff and and that's how it kind of all kick started that's amazing i i will i i don't know if i've mentioned to you already but he's he's one of my heroes and you know i i grew up in in that era thinking i'll i want to bat at number 3 for india and do what dravid has done so i'm i'm sure like being in in that company must have been quite inspiring yeah, it was it definitely definitely was man i mean just to get to know him he was he was a role model ever since ever since he made his debut it was just to get to know him more personally and work with him was was a was a big big learning in life sure and and is that how your journey with the rajasthan royals started yes so once i started working with rahul a couple of years into that the existing team manager at the rajasthan royals kind of moved on and it was about a, about 3 or 4 months before the season and so he quickly recommended my name and he said just go and meet the ceo if they are happy with you then you can kind of get started with the royals for the cup for a couple of months here and and that that's how it kind of worked and that first year i was i started with the royals in 2015 that was one hell of an experience i mean for someone who always wanted to be part of a you know professional team a setup just to be part of those team meetings part of part of the dugout just to understand what's really going on inside a team kind of was a special feeling and it helped that we made the playoffs that year so that always helps you know and I, i was just thinking as you were you were sharing about how your parents uh, or your mom particularly encouraged you i did not have that same experience because when i had that conversation with my parents they were like cricket is not going to put any food on the table for you and i wish that era the ipl existed so that i could say look it will put some food on the table um but i i'm i'm really glad to hear that and it, it sounds like even you know in your capacity as coach when you worked with different like age groups it's mostly because of the encouragement of you know parents because without that that's really hard to you know really drive youngsters into that and which leads me to ask about your involvement with the six cricket community which i believe is one of the academics uh at the Padukone Dravid Center for Sports and i you know i was kind of looking at their website earlier and i saw that you know plenty of youngsters they they are you know selected for mentorship and training and i was just curious how are these kids selected like what is the criteria that you know as coaches that you see to identify okay this is something this is a spark that i see in this kid and you know we are going to work with this kid very closely is there something that you look for when you select these kids for mentorship and training Yeah, Benny. So at at six, we wanted to always be a little uh, a little different from a regular academy. We always wanted to be that high performance cricket academy. We didn't want to be another run of the mill cricket academy because there's so many of those. You know, in Bangladesh, every other street has a cricket academy. Right. Um. So we had what could possibly be the best infrastructure from a grassroots cricket academy point of view. So kind of the pressure was kind of on me when when it all started to say, you know, we've got to really make this work. and 3 or 4 years down the line we've really reached a good space and um, how we started was so we didn't want we didn't want guys to come in and we where we mislead them saying you know like everyone has a dream right everyone has a dream to play for india so 
for us, the first thing was to be really honest with the parents because every parent thinks their kid is the best. So right. at six, what we did was before you enroll, you do a bit of a trial. If you have a basic hand-eye coordination, we take you on, especially if you're the under 12s and stuff. Um, but amongst that group then, we kind of looking at the way they play and just trying to get to know them a little bit. We kind of selected a few more to be part of an excellence group uh, who then get a little bit more more practice, more matches, more training, a little more intense than a regular learn-to-play cricket uh, kind of group, which which worked really well for us. It slowly started moving from 20% being the excellence versus by the time I left six a couple of months back, about 75% of the academy was was an excellence. Um, that's where we have about 300 kids. So, so yeah, we, we kind of figured out a system where parents are willing to go the extra mile to kind of to kind of give their kids the best opportunity and how we select them how we train them is is again it's really a coach's it's the coach's eye so we've got about 10 12 coaches working working there and you know each of us kind of hand pick a few who we really want to go that extra mile for so that's how it works and and at 6 it became more of a kind of a more than a coach student relationship it was it was a very friendly relationship with the kids which kind of helped them kind of open up because the challenges for kids growing up was they could never relate to their coaches. So especially for us growing up, you know, our right. school coach was so much older than us. He played in a completely different era uh, than what we were playing in at the moment. So they had their own ways of coaching. So here we tried to kind of really understand the game. It helped that some of us were still playing club cricket, still following the game so closely and just willing to accept that things have changed. So when you say that, um, the relationship between the coaches and the players is more friendly. I mean, it, it sounds like it's a huge difference from the era when Sachin Tendulkar had Ramakanta Shrekar, who he, he treated with so much reverence and was, you know, he looked at him as an elder who was to be listened to and not questioned. Um, and I, it, it sounds like, but now it's, it's a little different where a player can challenge the coach if they don't necessarily agree. I know you're dealing with kids at that particular group, but do you encourage kids to, you know, challenge the coach in this scenario? Like, what is that dy dynamic like? Absolutely. So it's something we're very, very keen on, very particular with that you do not agree to everything we say. It's right. so something we kind of trick them with something we don't want them to listen to. And then, you know, if they don't question us, then they're going to get a, a thing. So, <laughs> so it's something, it's something we really encourage. Uh, and the thing is they're comfortable with us now, but what we want them to do is then when they move on to state associations and state academies where the coaches maybe not as open to hearing back from the kids, we still encourage them to do that. Okay. We say this, you can't be pleasing everybody. Right. Okay, you can't please every coach because as, as a kid growing up, you know, by the time you reach the under 19s, you've potentially worked with about 30, 40 coaches. Okay. Growing up, going up the grassroots. So that's, there's a lot of input that comes your way. There's a lot of suggestions. The better you get, the more people want to be part of your journey. Right. The more people want to say, you know, I helped him do that. I contributed to his, his development. And everyone kind of gets involved. If they've even seen him for the first time batting in the nets, they want to go up there and say, ah, this is not right. You know, get your hand from here. Right. Okay. It's, it's something the kids growing up now have to take in their stride because they cannot be going around listening to everyone. Right. So there might be something valuable, but kind of hear everything, but you don't have to really apply it um, 
immediately. You might, might, might want to try it out, but just because, you know, even if the coach is one of the most senior coaches, most respectful for coaches, we say what is comfortable to you is something that works for you. Um, what worked for me might not work for another person, right? Right. And how much of it is like letting them just play their natural game, right? Like when you look at someone like Virinder Sehwag or Rishabh Pant for that matter, uh, there's a risk of coaching them a little too well where their their natural style is kind of phased out. So when you see some sort of natural flair like that in the kids you coach, what is the approach you take with them? Like I'm assuming there's a balance between letting them do it, but also able to maximize that and still like, you know, really perform even better than they think they can. It's it's a fine balance on this whole natural game versus kind of learning to adapt. Um, what we do as coaches, kind of my philosophy is you feed the strength, you keep feeding the strength, but then put them into, you know, kind of challenging positions where they learn to adapt as well. Right. Not telling you to change the way you play, okay, but you need to adapt to the situation. So it could be the other way around. So Sehwag Pant always kind of, uh, you know, that those kind of cricketers are spoken about more often when you speak about natural game. But right. even even cricketers like Pujara on the other side of it, okay? Especially kids growing up now need to be able to play T20 cricket. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's potentially the future of the game. So someone who's got a very good technique, but who's kind of slow and who's you know, doesn't get going, we kind of put them into those situations as well. So you're in, right. you're in a T20 scenario. So we do a lot of scenarios. Uh, coaching is based on a lot of scenarios where we're trying to throw people into the deep end. Okay, we get spinners and say, you know, you have to bowl in the power play now. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. So figure out your plans, figure out your strategies and kind of have your own game plan. So that's, that's potentially the most important part. Okay, especially as batsmen, bowlers, you have your own game plan, your own template. How do you build an innings? Okay, when is it that you feel like you're ready to take risk? Okay, if a batsman has hit me for two sixes, what is my two options to kind of keep him quiet the next ball? So it's it, it's really understanding your own game. So that's as coaches, our role is really to help players understand their own game. That's as simple as it gets. Unless someone's really doing something very wrong and they're not able to put bat on ball, then you kind of intervene and say, just maybe tweak this around, try it out uh, and see how it feels. Hey Arjun, um, so I, I want to go back to one other thing that you mentioned earlier regarding when kids, um, you know, have ha- uh, when, when parents have high expectations of their kids, you know, they initially, you know, send them to the coaching center and they all want to like, at some point in time, evolve to play for India, right? So are you seeing... Now, with the advent of T20 cricket and franchises everywhere, right? And then are you seeing parents kind of leaning towards, oh, if my son can, you know, become good enough, son or daughter can become good enough to join a franchise, then is that something that, I don't know, if it may be a little too early, but hypothetically, we could be going in a way that parents, you know, as long as they can get their kids into a franchise, they'll be as happy or more happier than, you know, trying to aim for a much tighter competition when it comes to national pool of cricket. Yeah, it's definitely happening, Nish. It's definitely happening. So, you know, speak about parent support, but sometimes it, it goes a little beyond where they're really pushing their kids a lot. They're making the decisions for them until 13. Like sometimes you have parents coming up and saying, you know, it is a left-hander, he's a left-arm spinner. Left-arm spinners are really good for the IPL, so let's just train him on left-arm spin. But the kid wants to be a left-arm fast bowler. Uh, like you know, he's he's young. We're not we're too far away from even thinking about about that. But yes, so 
cricket um it's become it's become really intense from a parents point of view the you know i've seen parents who are taking kids to two or three different academies there's a lot of one on one coaching uh, going on as well where kids go out and hit a lot of balls um at two or three different places so it's almost a parent feeling that they shouldn't miss out on something you know i'm going to do this i'm going to do that i'm going to do everything and and i don't i don't want to miss out i want to give my kid the best opportunity uh, there is to kind of make it as a cricketer which sometimes is a decision they make for the children which then becomes you know hard on the kids because it might not be what they really want but they know no yeah. other way because from the time they are 10 11 they've been kind of streamlined into this which makes our jobs as coaches a little bit harder to kind of identify that and try and bring back the joy in playing the game okay that's if they're not enjoying it i don't believe they can ever get better at it um because only if you're enjoying it you're willing to wake up and come in the mornings you're willing to spend those 2 3 hours on the ground yes i know there are stories of you know great players who didn't enjoy the game like agassi and stuff who still went on and made it big but i think those are once in a million so yeah that it, it is it is a challenge for us to manage parent expectations um and and really balancing it out for the kid yeah it's a fine line between support and then projecting what you want out of that kid right so yeah it's and arjun i want to specifically focus on girls or you know girls who are interested in the sport um you know lately there's been a lot of talk or debate over the women's ipl or the lack of a women's ipl for that matter but i want to talk about at a grassroots level uh like right at the starting stage of the interest for girls who want to take up cricket um what do you see in terms of interest level um not just among the girls but parents right because i can't even imagine the challenges that kids have to face when they want to when they say well i want to give this a serious go and then especially indian girls who say well i'm really serious about taking cricket as you know Uh, my livelihood one day so what do you see that in terms of like challenge when dealing with not just the uh, with the girls but with their parents too and uh is there anything that you see is really holding back you know girls from making it big so the, the last the last year and a half we've seen some amazing girls come into the academy i mean the kind of talent that we've seen over the last one and a half years is, is really got us excited on women's cricket uh it's it's something that we we've really taken a lot of interest in to understand the game okay we initially we thought was was a similar game coach them the same way but uh, over the year we've learned that it is different it it is different we need to learn to coach the girls a little more differently uh, we tried going up to a few club games and watch some of their games to just try and understand where women's cricket is at and it's where men's cricket was about 10 15 years back in terms of in terms of the way they approach the game in terms of their mindset um but yes there's there are a lot of girls who are now playing cricket and at least in i can speak for the urban cities i'm i'm not sure about the rural areas yet uh but in in cities like bangalore uh i think parents are very very welcoming i think they're they're really happy to let their their daughters go and try cricket okay especially after the recent little bit of success that the indian team has had uh the last world cup the world cup in 2017 i think a lot of young girls have started looking at this as an opportunity as well what also happens is because there is a limited pool selections into junior state teams becomes a lot easier 
but that becomes another challenge on its own because because the pool is so small, an average player might make it to the state team and kind of give uh, give their parents and them a bit of a false hope, right. saying, "Oh, she's played for state now." But you know, when we see them, we kind of see that quality is not really up there. Yes, it can be worked upon, but sometimes they get pushed into the the professional circuit a little bit too early. Uh, that's that's a challenge a lot of the girls are facing, like some of the 16, 17, 18 year olds that we're working with, kind of get pushed into the into the senior squads very early when they're not ready. And it'll be interesting to see how that will impact them three or four years later when they should ideally be at their peak or be really ready to go. Uh, like if you see the Indian team as well, I mean, compared compared to the men's team, the number of teenagers that have played for the women's team right. is, is so much higher. Uh, which, you know, kind of, again, gives mixed signals to the parents. They're saying, you know, Shafali Verma is 15, 16. She's playing for India. And on the side, I'm having a conversation saying, nah, kid is 18. We have a good five years to get her ready because if you have if you have a 10-year international career, you kind of will be considered a great of the game. You've played right. 10 years for your country. You kind of consider a great of the game. Mitali Raj is upwards above 35 now. Julian Goswami, I think, is 38. So there is time. I mean, even if you're 25, you'll get 10 years, 35. If you're still 17, 18 now, you have seven years to kind of, you know, work on the game and get ready. And then I go, Shefali Varma, Jamie, Richard Ghosh. You have to be there now. Yeah. So that's that's the challenge. Uh, you know, it will change. I'm sure it will change once the pool gets wider and more girls start playing cricket. But yeah, again, managing those expectations and just trying to make them understand that you're not in any race, you know, there is, right. there is time. I mean, there's a the temptation, right? Like we want everything to happen immediately, but that's not understanding the fundamental concept of coaching is that sometimes players just need more time. Even if they cannot become the finished product within a couple of years, they still have to be on the right path to get to where they want to be. Um, so yeah, that, that's totally understandable. And it, especially for Indian parents, if I can generalize them for once, um, you know, they have very high expectations of their children. So yes, I can see how, especially like with the Indian's women, Indian women's cricket team in the last few years, just exploding in terms of popularity and name recognition and just the names that you mentioned, Shafali Verma and Jemima and Smriti Mandana. Like when you see all these players being talked about at almost par with like the men's cricketers, I can see how you have to manage not just the kids, the girls' hopes, but even like the parents. And and what's happening also is, you know, it's kind of not evolved as much as the men's game yet in right. terms of selections, in terms of in terms of the way they approach the game. Like a T20 game, you I mean, you guys have seen even in international cricket, India is struggling in terms of getting the strike rate up and going. If you followed the the domestic season that just finished last month, um, you'll see the strike rates are pretty low. Uh, teams approach 50 over cricket like how the men's would approach them in the 90s. Right. Uh, which is changing uh, in Australia, in England. You see how they are approaching the game, the women there. And that needs to kind of uh, get into our system here where we're saying it is okay to fail. Okay. It's okay to fail because if you're not going to be pushing 300 every time you play a 50 over game in the domestic circuit, you're not doing any justice. You might have the best average, but you're not really doing. You're not pushing your case to be in amongst the top international cricketers. You know, I, I always tell my girls, the goal is not to really play for India. Uh, the goal is to be amongst the best in the in, in the international circuit. Because it is right. 
a very high possibility at the moment right so it's it's where you have to keep you have to keep pushing your game okay and that's where coaches play a big role in kind of uh, encouraging them to do that in kind of encouraging them to fail and say you know go to a t20 game you know if there's an option of getting 15 50 balls and getting a 13 15 balls at the moment the girls choose 15 50 but i think any day the 13 15 is a more valuable contribution right. um, so that's that's something we're working on with the girls we work with but it has to kind of slowly be uh, you know adopted at, at at the domestic level and where we just change our mindset and that's where you know the women's ipl will kind of i believe be a game changer for women's cricket because there is a lot of talent i know there was a recent report that someone made a comment that there's not enough talent in the in the country i don't think right. that's true because we've seen quite a bit of cricket now and there, there are a lot of girls playing cricket okay don't make it an eight eight team tournament make it a four team tournament um, but that will really change the dynamics of 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 women's cricket in it because it means a lot of franchises are then getting involved the youngsters will kind of get to play with some of the international stars okay so we'll have international coaches coming in and just saying you know this is how you approach a t20 game uh, it's just exactly what happened to the men's game right and even exactly. when you look at you know the big bash league you know how it's isn't that the same team for i mean it's the same franchise it's just yeah. the men's and women's team i mean even if they do that like the existing franchises can have like a women's team I think Absolutely. it's it's doable. <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely doable. I, I think it will happen very soon to be honest. I, I think there's just too much talent in the country and and with the Indian team doing decently well. I think I think it will it will happen I'm hoping over the next year. Uh but yeah again and they talk about the talent pool and stuff. So it doesn't have to be only four overseas players, right? Get more overseas players. Right. Let there be five overseas players playing or six overseas players playing. Um, it's just getting that, getting getting them into our system. Okay, that's that's really going to help help women's cricket in India, and we kind of become the number one team in five six years. Switching over to sort of back to your you know coaching related items, um, you know obviously I, I also played cricket you know a couple of decades ago, and I think one of the differences you already kind of touched upon, which was scenario based training, but um, from when you were playing cricket to now that you're coaching cricket, what are the other differences that you've seen? Um, one thing that comes to mind and it's fairly obvious is fitness. Um, but the other things that come to mind is sort of video analysis. Um, and I guess what are, what are the other things that come to your mind as to, you know, what you wish were there 20 years ago, which would have helped you? The smartphone, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing. You know, the number of videos I have on, on my phone of cricketers and just immediately after that, I can show them, you know, this is how you look. And I didn't know how I look when I'm batting until God knows when. I think I've seen 10 videos of my own batting. Uh, but kids these days, you know, have so many videos. And it's it's another feeling, right? When you watch your own self play, it's kind of, you kind of understand your game better. That's, that's the objective, like I mentioned earlier, to help the kids understand their game better. And when you see yourself batting, uh, it's so much easier than when you're just listening to someone on someone tell you what what's happening and what's not so that's video analysis is a is a more deeper version of it but yeah what we usually do and the easiest thing to do is take a video on the phone just slow it down show them uh, there and then and just it makes coaching coaching much easier 
it makes coaching really easy. There's a whole lot of other technology now that's coming, those bat sensors showing you where your backlift is coming from, the speed of the bat. Now, I think the other challenge is that, that there's so much information going for the kids. Whereas in our time, we would turn up there, figure out how to win the game. Um, so that's a big difference, you know. For, for us, we didn't really worry about where's the backlift. Our coaches never taught us backlift and, and, and you know, focus on where your feet are, where's the balance. They said, just go out there and please win the game for your, for your team. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, again, something we're trying to adopt, you know. We try and get that balance. Like I said earlier, it's, it's about le- teaching them to kind of adapt by putting them in situations where, we'll, where they will fail more at practice. Um, but yeah, you've, you've got to, you've got to balance, balance that as a coach. And sometimes you kind of get carried away trying to impose a few technical changes on them, which, you know, then say, no, my coach, my coach wouldn't have done that. And the other big difference, obviously, is T20 cricket. We would not, we would never hit the ball in the air. Um, you know, my favorite shot was always the scoop, but every time I played it, the coach like, why are you taking the chance? I'm like, I never miss it, but so what's the problem? (laughs) (laughs) whereas now we teach our 12 year olds how to play the reverse sweep and say you know that has to be a part of your game okay it's as important as your cover drive to be honest right right you need to learn it Uh, it's not going to happen on its own so you might as well practice it you might as well do the drills that is required to do it but yeah you've got to practice the reverse sweeps right from when you're 12 and like you mentioned fitness is a big thing for us when we were playing warm-up was two or three minutes where you would run up and down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and then, yeah, yeah, let's ready, let's go, let's go, let's go. But now the amount of time children, right from 12, 13, the amount of time they spend on fitness is is lovely to see. You know, I think it's, it's something where we as coaches kind of feel good when we say, you know, even if they don't make it in cricket, this whole fitness culture that they're, that they're imbibing will hold them in good stead in life, right? Um, hopefully it becomes a part of a part of their DNA and part of the way they, they go about life. And a lot of credit for that really goes to, obviously, Virat Kohli. Just the kids looking up to him and he's changed. He's changed how we look at fitness. Even, even six years back, seven years back, and I don't think we were that serious about training and fitness, but once he's made it, he's made it fashionable to be fit. Right, like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> It's cool. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Being in the gym is cool. Put out an Instagram video is cool. Yeah. So it's 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 really changed the way young kids young kids approach fitness at the moment. And the one thing that stands out in in your comment there was hitting the ball in the air. And I I mean I I could not agree more. And and the reason for that was again as you said you know you played the scoop and your coach would uh, pull you aside for that. It was similar for me if I played an uppish cover drive. You'd be like, what are you doing? You're going to get caught at the circle. And so I had my knee bent and I was pushed, pulling it, uh, you know, driving around the, along the ground. And then I moved to Chicago where the grass is three inches thick and I play a crisp cover, cover drive and I get a run. <laughs> so uh, I had to learn, sort of relearn my way around cricket in Chicago. And it really taught me that uh, the game that had been taught at a grassroots level in India is... Um, was probably just one half of it. Like I was probably defensively strong, but otherwise it was, it was lacking. So it, it definitely is a, is a big change from then to now. And yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And again, when we coming back to women's cricket, that's where we are at now. We're now at the stage where the reverse sweep is still frowned upon at, at right. the junior state levels and stuff like that. Um, uh, the girls are thinking, oh, should I play? Should I not play it? If I get out playing it, you know, I'm going to be getting a year full. But if you are 
thinking about if I get out, you will get out. Is is what we say. Right. You get out, yeah, you'll get shouted at for five minutes. Big deal. You know, take it. But if you kind of get the runs, and if you make that something special about you, that's what selectors are looking for. What more can you bring to the table? Everyone can play a cover drive, I think. Uh, but what more can you bring to the table? Okay, what's that unique? Right. What's that unique ability? What's the mystery that you bring to your game? Is yeah. And, and and that's a great point because I feel like a lot of young kids worry about failure and uh, you know if we talk about Rishabh Pant scooping uh, Anderson with a new ball over in a test match and we we're like wowed about it but the fact is if he got caught in the slips or something like that people would be like this guy shouldn't be playing test cricket yeah, what is he doing and a lot of it, yeah. exactly yeah a lot of people you know use results to sort of figure out. if that was the right approach and i feel like there is got to be some sense of understanding that um you have to you know sort of understand the odds of it working how good you are at the shot and, and then deciding against or for it sometimes i feel bad i feel bad for the young kids growing up and the young kids we coach because we are of the mindset that it is okay to fail as long as you're putting in the prep. as long as you like for example if you've not practiced the reverse sweep you're not going to play it in the match okay that's wrong yeah. but if you've practiced the reverse sweep if you've had decent success playing the reverse sweep in practice go out and try it in the game but you might get out you might get out defending as well that doesn't mean you don't have a defense in your life uh, you don't play the defense ever so it's okay as long as you've practiced as long as you're confident with it go out and try it but again like i said they grew up with so many coaches uh, 30 40 coaches so for them to kind of you know adapt to different coaches and different senior players is hard so you know that's kind of if i had to be critical of my coaching style is is that you know sometimes i kind of saying just go out there and be brave while i don't understand that if i understand but i just can't accept it that the other coach might not be as forthcoming so it's right it's it's kind of hard but i think it will in time uh you know people will understand will understand yes yeah, so. hopefully yep so i think we sort of our t- next question we kind of touched upon already which was about you know this is my style this is my game um and how often do you see youngsters doing that versus um you know saying oh i want to perfect what the textbook technique says um i guess we've since we've already talked about that my question is slightly different i would say how much do you see that at let's say the under uh, like the 16 17 age group versus the 10 11 age group because i i feel like the responses between those two age groups should probably be very different it will be because i think the 16 year olds will understand their game better at 11 12 you're still trying to figure out what you want to do how you want to play you've not played as many matches you've not failed as much as a 11 year old 12 year old if you're a very good cricketer you don't fail as much at that age Right. really when you grow older when you're 15 16 you start playing men's cricket women's cricket at the senior level is when you begin to kind of fail a lot more and when you look at cricket it's it's a game of failure you fail more than you kind of succeed uh, right you if you score a 50 once in five innings you've done well it's it's a funny it's a funny game in that sense uh, but you you train so much and if you're successful 20% of the time 25% of the time you've done well um so yeah that's that's where i think playing my natural game kind of becomes it's almost a defense mechanism i feel i don't think anyone ever means it i think what is your natural game you can't i mean i don't think anyone can say that this is only my natural game right 
Now you're playing yeah. on a turning wicket. You're not going to play like how you're going to play in England. It's going to be different. Uh, so I think everyone has the ability to adapt. Okay, but the guys who are not doing as well, who's going through a lean patch, can can then say, you know, I'm sticking to my natural game. It's like a movie star saying, you know, I've not got the good, I've not got a good script yet. I think <laughs> it's kind of equivalent to that. And but the good players always will learn to adapt, whatever level they're playing. They will always learn. They will learn to adapt. I mean, Virat is a great example. Again, I mean, after his the 2014 England tour, he came back the next time. He right. didn't. He didn't say I'm not going to adapt, right? He he did make a few changes to his game. He he did play differently, which was which is a sign of a I mean, obviously a great player. So so Arjun, uh, you spent a, you have spent a lot of time talking about the players, but let's talk about you, the coach. Um, you know, you've worked now with both young youngsters, young kids, as well as international players, as well as coaches. Uh, from your perspective, uh, can you share anything that you have learned? Um, or in terms of approach, you know, what's the difference in terms of dealing with youngsters and, you know, more established international stars? So at this international level, obviously, I don't, I'm, I mean, at my role at the Rajasthan Royals is not necessarily a coaching role. Uh, it's more as team coordinator and stuff. So I don't really get into the coaching bit of things, but I do have a lot of conversations with, with the guys, just trying to understand how they react to defeat, how they react to wins, and um, how they kind of grew up, uh, what their coaches were like. So it's it's again very very clear that the really good players are the ones that understand their game. Okay, and they will stick by it. They are not going to keep changing. They're not going to say, okay, you know, this game it didn't work. I'm talking about a very T20 specific example here, where you know I'm going to go hard in the power play. I've got out twice. It does not mean I have to change that. Okay, if this is the way it works for me. And I think as a coach, it's important to kind of understand each player. That becomes really the biggest, biggest challenge. What gets them going, what gets them ticking. Uh, and then trying and feeding that um, as much as possible, putting them into that kind of a mindset before games. And at practice, take them away from that. Sometimes put them in a completely opposite mindset, completely out of their comfort zone and see how they react to that. Because they will need to adapt. It's they're going to have different captains, different coaches, like we said, and you just need to learn learn to bowl differently. As an off spinner, uh, I might want to bowl with a four four five field, but there might be a captain who says, no, 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 you have to bowl with five or six on the offside and just keep bowling outside off stump. Okay, as an off spinner, that'll rattle you, but you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared to be able to do that as well, which which is the tough part in in my opinion from from a bowler's point of view. Uh, coaching coaching bowlers as such is just trying to get the captain on your side and you know getting the captain to trust you especially when you're young um so as as a coach it's important for us to kind of prepare them that's my that's been my biggest learning uh in the last in the last year or so that you know you need you need to have that level of adaptability where you say you know this is my plan but no one's agreeing with my plan so i'll have to learn to adjust so yeah that's that's a very that's and it's at all levels i think and and i'm also curious because this is something that i've thought that you know at the ipl level where you have a mix of up and coming stars or up and coming players as well as you know players who are doing well at the international level both indian and overseas so when you have this collection of players and as someone who's close to 
the coaching setup, even if you're not a coach yourself, but you're observing this, um, I've always felt that with when you have such a collection of players, they probably don't even need a lot of coaching because they know enough already. At, so it gets to a point where you're essentially managing them more than coaching, like doing skills-based coaching. Would that be accurate or do you think they do need, they still need active input from the coaches? It's it's a bit of both. Again, it's, it's really dependent on the individual. So again, in an IPL team, when you look at it, we've got so many young guys who are just about getting into the system. You know, in, in Rajasthan Royals, we have guys like Yashasri Jaiswal and Chetan Sakaria. I think the conversations that they can have with someone like Kumar Sangakara, um, yes, a little bit of it is about technique. I've seen Sangakara work with some of the guys on, on some technical changes. Obviously, they can't do too much because they're here only for a couple of months. But yes, I have seen coaches giving giving inputs on on slight technical changes. Again, suggesting not enforcing ever, but suggesting slight changes. And and I think, I mean, I've seen Josh Butler working on certain technical stuff over the last couple of weeks as well. So I don't think learning ever stops. Right. Uh, but again, it comes down to how much of it you want to take. It's very similar to a 12, 13-year-old, like I said. You've got 30, 40 coaches. Everyone's got their opinion. Mm-hmm. But what works for you, what doesn't work for you, only you will know. And that's something I've seen with the pros over here that they're okay to get in information. The better players are hungry for information, but they know how much of it to use and how much of it to say, you know, yeah, I'll try this, but it's not working out. So nah, it's not, it's not for me, but it's not always a shut door. Okay. There's some players who are like, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to break my head on this. I don't want to focus on this. I'm, I'm okay where I am. I've done well to reach where I am. So no, but I think the better players always look at tournaments like the IPL kind of get better to learn something new out of it. And it is an amazing platform, right? For young Indian players, even for overseas guys, you might be in, you might have played test cricket, but some of the Indian young talent might be better at you than playing spin, for example. Um, so there's something you can learn from there. And and the better players are like that. Okay. They, they have that mindset to learn. But that goes back to something you said earlier in the conversation, both Indian, like domestic players, as well as overseas players, they, they also have coaches with their own teams, whether it's at the national level or their, their local team, then they come to the IPL and then they interact with coaches at their franchise. Does this not mess up with their game in any way? Like, how do you make sure that it's not happen yeah. well, i always wonder that and i've had these conversations with some of these guys and i'm like you know you, you go into an england setup you have one style of play you come here there's a different style of play some of them go to the big bash they play for their counties so i mean they're working with seven or eight different teams a year some of these and and it can get confusing right you're kind of adapting to different roles um joss butler for example has a different role in england he has a different role here uh, just the way they approach the game is, is is different. It is, at least for me, watching from the outside, it kind of feels a little confusing. Uh, but again, the best players adapt. And I, I know I've said it a little too often now in this conversation, but they're just so willing to willing to adapt, willing to learn, willing to adjust and, and do what it takes for the team because they do understand that there are different players around them. And Josh Butler might have Jason Roy and Ben Stokes coming in with him in the England setup, but here he's playing with some of the younger guys. So there might be a little bit of a tweak that he has to make in his game. And I think they find it exciting as well. I yeah. mean, 
just to be able to challenge. Work, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like doing the same job day in and day out. If you were doing the same thing day in and out, day out, I think we would be bored. But the fact that yeah. they get to kind of play cricket differently in different parts of the year is it's quite exciting for them. Yeah, I think just to add to that, perhaps, you know, um, you know, for example, Josh Butler, right? Like he these these are experienced pro players who have like a core base foundation skills that they're not going to really like, you know, move around or adjust. And then they have the level two or the flexible set of skills that they can, you know, adjust to the team's needs, right? Maybe they perhaps they break the game down into simpler blocks like that to adapt to tweaks, right? Like potentially, I'm just thinking out loud. It's not like they're going to remodel their entire foundations, approve everything for a two-month period of a 12-month commitment to the national side. And you know, like completely burn and recreate, burn and recreate over and over again, right? It's they not, have like a not, fix. Yeah, it's not really the technical bit of it. I think it's right. it's more from the way they. It's it's a mindset thing. It's the way they approach an innings. It's the role they have in the team. Right. Like I mean, you would have seen RR use Butler down the order, and uh, in a couple of games until Stokes was here, and then for England, I think he goes up the order. So it's 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 a different role. So it's right. it's not really technical changes that they make. uh i think it's 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 it really depends on the role that they're playing and again like you said nish it's not it's not too different they're not going to you know turn it upside down but it might just be saying you know i'll for example instead of going from ball one i might just wait a few overs uh and then go it's just it's just that smaller difference right i might wait right. two overs and then take on the bowling whereas when i'm playing for my national side i might take on my bowling after the first over okay or in the case of mumbai indians for example this they've got such a long batting order that they can all of them can probably go from ball one um whereas when someone like rohit sharma is playing for india you might say you know i'll take my time a little longer because i that might mean by it all there um so it's more so strategy based than skills yeah. based really or technique makes sense yeah so let's switch gears and go into your um role as team coordinator for rr so let's can you touch upon what that role is comprised of and maybe share share some anecdotes you know from your time engaging with the team uh for your podcast and other you know anecdotes that you can share with us with the listeners as well for the last couple of days these guys are making fun of me saying what job do i really do at rr so <laughs> so we're asking you the same question again <laughs> yeah i don't know why everyone's kind of attacking me over the last three four days but yeah so as my role is basically it's a lot of pre-season work uh just trying to get get everything sorted visas and paperwork uh trying to get the players here in time uh there's a lot of lot of documents that go in uh especially for the for the visas to come through and the and and the contracts and and getting their you know kind of apparel and measurements jerseys order helmets uh each of them have different helmets obviously shrey masuri so we just need to get get sure what what they want uh what size they want make sure that's right just check in with all the manufacturers whether they've got yeah that they've got the pink color right because that was a challenge for us in the first year where you know three or four of our players had different pink so every other batsman had a different shade of pink so we kind of it's kind of about getting all that uh to place and once the tournament starts i kind of really enjoy getting into the cricket side of things getting doing a lot of side arming and getting into the coaching side of things and and my main 
second role at rr is to play tt with the guys so anyone's bored they'll say arjun just come up to the team room let's go and play some tt yeah. and it's a nice gig yeah, yeah. So i'm going to change my designation next year to to <laughs> tt player in the team but yeah it's i think from an rr point of view it's more about you know having someone around cuz especially now in, in terms of being in a bubble and stuff like that just a few extra hands uh, always always helps uh, just someone for the players to kind of chat with as well again over here i share that relationship with the players where they are if they are having a bad day they can just come and rant uh, kind of but are you tempted as someone with coaching experience when sangakara is saying something and you're like actually here's what i think Are you tempted to I, say I do, that? I do take my I do take my chance a couple of times and <laughs> okay especially organizing nets and all that I I really love getting into that side of things so yeah it's it's fun to be around it's right. it's really a fun environment to be around and because we're in a bubble now it's pretty relaxed in that sense right. otherwise you know normally there would be a lot of work in terms of travel because you're playing one day traveling the next playing traveling so that in those that 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 would take a lot of work and uh and stuff like that but now i think it's a little bit more relaxed um but i hope none of those guys are listening in <laughs> i was actually going to ask you about that so i know we're obviously there's you know a lot of games at one venue at a time this time around but um you know um in normal circumstances would logistics and all of that would also that be under your uh, purview yes yes so that would that would be a pretty important task and that's getting everything out of we obviously have a logistics team as well who looks after the bags and because there's so much luggage to be carried around uh and you can't miss anything right because then we're really in a in a, in a bad place even Aaron Finch had, I think forgotten his kit or lost his kit uh in one of the he missed a game for that if you guys remember i think it was the 2000 when he was playing for gujarat lions i think it was the 2016 or 17 season where he missed one game because his kid didn't turn up um so yeah there's there's a lot of pressure in that sense so to make sure that you know you've got you've got everything in place and um because if you make one mistake then it might cost you might cost you big time so right. so yeah there is there is that kind of pressure involved but luckily for us we've got a really a big team around us and a very very good team who've been doing the IPL for some time now so it's kind of smooth sailing um and and the last couple of years i would do just the pre-season uh stay for a couple of games and then head back because i had to go back to six uh, where i felt like you know i need really needed to be there because like you guys know the summer months in india is is where we get a lot of interest for cricket at the grassroots so i just needed to be be there but now that i've moved on i kind of get to spend the whole whole season with with rr again which which i am enjoying that's really great to hear um so this is kind of like piggybacking off the previous question so what are some of the activities that you guys do on you know on your off days when there are like no games and um how are the training sessions typically planned right like can you give us kind of like a behind the scenes without disclosing much yeah so it's 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 very different now the training i'll come to the training bit of it first and it's very different now compared to when we were in a in a normal world so in a normal world training sessions would go on and on and on especially before the season uh, you know especially before the season we would literally spend the whole day there where batsmen would come in pairs back for an hour and a half go next batsman comes goes and we'd have a whole set of uh, domestic net bowlers come in um, because jaipur was was home to us so we could use the wicket for however long we want 
but now with being in a bubble so everything is kind of very crisp because there are time slots now so you know if you are rr you get to practice for 2 hours from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock or 6 o'clock to 8:30 and that's it you've got to keep moving uh, so it's it's kind of very crisp which means it's more planned now um which is kind of hard on the coaching staff because in that one half hour window obviously the first priority is to the guys who are in the 11 or who are, who are going to play a next game but an ipl squad consists of 25 players so there are more guys not playing than there are playing so and if you don't give them enough practice they're not going to be very happy because they're spending two months here and the only thing they have in a bubble is to play is to practice and and that's kind of being it's kind of getting a little hard for the coaches to kind of balance that bit out i've seen um but you know their hands are tied because we've got such a limited time slot and if one of the guys in the 11 wants to have an extra hit you obviously want to give him that and you don't want to say no to him uh for example if sanju samson says you know bad fast now but i want to bat some more i want to do some throwdowns you know that's going to be your first priority which means someone younger or someone who's not in the 11 might miss out on batting that day because that was supposed to be his slot um so it's 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 become a little harder for the coaches but yeah so now what happens is we get nets and some days they give us the center wicket so then the coaches plan around that you know who's going to bat try and do a little bit of scenario work as well whenever possible especially before the season but once now the games that are now that the games have started it's really going out there having a hit just finding out what the player wants sometimes sometimes they want to play bowlers sometimes they just want to do throwdowns so it's also understanding what what the player wants and giving him exactly what he wants um so that's yeah that's from a from a training from a training point of view but when we're not playing uh, what happens in ipl teams is there's a in the hotel itself there's a there's a one of the lounges are kind of converted into a team room uh and that's getting fancier by the year so initially as the team room was just you know one of those executive lounges there would be one tt table and that's about it but now this it really really looks like you're kind of in your space with this a lot of a lot of motivational quotes there are family pictures you know there's there's some gaming there's obviously tt tables around and you know the guys spend a lot of time there especially in a bubble environment because that's the only place you can go out outside of your room that's like you're going out kind of kind of thing because when you're not in a bubble the players would go out for lunches would go out for dinners but here sometimes instead of just ordering room service in the room they'd come to the team room and order their food there so that there is at least someone around them uh having a conversation while having while having their meal so yeah non match days it's it's really about playing a lot of tt uh doing gym work and they spend a lot of the overseas guys love to spend time in the uh, again we're lucky enough to be in a bubble where we're allowed access to the pool and, and stuff like that um so yeah that's that's what goes in i mean day after the game people wake up really late it's, a, it's also another interesting thing that i learned in the ipl where some of the some of the players kind of adjust their body clocks in such a way that they sleep very late uh, so they go to sleep at 3 o'clock 4 o'clock in the morning so that they wake up only at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock because if they wake up at a normal 8 o'clock 9 o'clock by the time the game starts at 7:30 they kind of already spent right uh, so they yeah so they try and delay everything so they try and start their day say around 1 o'clock so so that you know by 7:30 is when they're is their midday kind of uh, yeah without jofra archer around who uh, do 
players still play video games or is that gone now no no a lot of those guys are i shouldn't be saying this if young kids are watching but <laughs> they love their gaming and i'm i'm hoping it's 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 what the bubble has done to them but yeah, yeah a lot of the guys love love their gaming, love their gaming. It's, it's, <laughs> also from what you're sharing it, it just sounds like a very relaxed atmosphere and how much of that is influenced by sanju samson because he strikes me as someone who very much like doni in terms of not not batting but in terms of just leadership and you know based on his press conferences or his post match chats he seems to have a very clear thought process right like he doesn't just come and just say just clichés and walks away he from his talks you can see that he's someone who has a very clear thought process and who doesn't take life too seriously how much of that rubs on his team yeah. and how have the new players yeah. taken to him Uh, he's, the the guy. he's the funniest guy i've ever met <laughs> so he's when he's around there's always laughter there's you know he's, he's always he's always getting people to laugh that's something about uh, players coaches support staff whatever it is he's always making people laugh uh, you know even his his one liners at the toss and yeah you know, i think i think it's only going to get funnier Uh, he has a fascination with the coins i've noticed yeah, yeah he just keeps picking up the coins I've, <laughs> i've seen that but yeah sanju's very very relaxed since that you know so sometimes now that two results haven't gone away it's something people kind of say you know are they too relaxed and mm-hmm. is there a lack of intent but i don't think that's true because that's that's his his personality and a lot of the team riyan parag if you if you saw riyan parag taking those catches uh against against csk i mean go back and watch the footage of him taking those catches he just looks so relaxed when he's taking a, i've not seen anyone look that relaxed when they're taking a high catch you know and these balls are pretty high and he's just going casually and he's just he's just so relaxed for an 18 19 year old you know as so after the game i asked him what do you think of yourself like you have no business being so relaxed when there's a catch going up in the air like what do you think he's just started laughing and and then i asked him do you do you ever get nervous like because he's always you know he's got this you know swagger around him and stuff like that and he said no i do get i do get nervous i do get nervous sometimes but i try not to show it and once i'm out there in the middle kind of everything obviously obviously relaxes and, and I asked him especially about the high catches and he's like and once i've judged the ball and i'm comfortable with where the ball is coming i know i will take i will take it so i try and stay as relaxed as possible and i mean that was for me it was really fascinating to watch the way he took those two high catches for me that's i'm not well, speaking speaking of players who make it look easy you you were with the royals last year as well right so you you were there when rahul tewatia scored that So they were just my favorite batsman in the Rajasthan Royals you know even before that Punjab innings you uh-huh. know I, I, if you don't believe me I've tweeted about it I think so <laughs> but but yeah he was so he was with us in 2015 as well uh Rahul Tewatia and even back then I I loved the way he would play the switch hits and even to fast bowlers back then and you know I was I was a big fan of him so there's a funny story about how I take all the credit for for Tewatia's batting over the last couple of seasons so the before the last season we were playing a practice game uh in in Dubai we were playing a practice game and you know I was kind of umpire for that uh, for that game and the coach just sent him opening it was amongst ourselves so they wanted to they want him to go opening so that he has a he has a good hit and strike him out in the power play and stuff and first ball 
He was wrapped on the pads. Can't remember who the bowler was. I think it was uh, the bowler was, but whatever. He was he was wrapped on the pads, and I think it was as out as it could be. I mean, all right. But I said not out, and you know there was <laughs> there was there was so much fear about that. So that was his first ball in Dubai in, in the first practice game. I gave him not out. He went on to smash forty eight and some seventeen eighteen balls after that. And then I was like, after the Sharjah game, I said, "Who the hell gave him all the confidence?" So thank you very much. So <laughs> <laughs> all credit goes to you, is yeah, what you're obviously. saying. Yeah, I mean, imagine if he got dug out, <laughs> might not have been the same, right? Obviously True. not might. Would never have been the same. So yeah. But j- just that knock <laughs> itself, I-, I maintain that in the last few years, that still remains as like my favorite knock, the knock against Kings Eleven Punjab, because I was following the game. you know on social media too and i remember when he was struggling in those first i don't know how many deliveries there were people tweeting including me i'll admit that you know i i feel sorry to watch this i feel bad for him because everyone was just like lambasting him on twitter and like you should probably like retire hurt yeah, i was, I was that- telling the other day about it so i was telling him about it because i was whatsapping my friends at the time and, and they are all like what you said they were so good and this and that and what is he doing and i was like you know because of you i got so much of abuse but <laughs> i kept saying you know no i told them to keep waiting keep waiting keep waiting and thank thank god it finally came because it's something i asked him right when when you were batting did you ever feel like you should get out now uh, for the sake of the team he said no i was i was feeling very down but at yeah. no stage did i think that i should get out because because i knew on that wicket in that ground if i hit four sixes and i knew i could hit them if i could hit four or five sixes we're back in the game and yeah. he said it was about getting that first one going and he said honestly i did not feel like giving up which for me was was very inspiring and it's a, it's a story i will take back to my take back to the kids uh, and you know talk about it because right. there will be phases right there will be phases in yeah uh, in in cricket in life where things are just not going your way and you want to you want to give up mm-hmm. uh, but if you just fight that little bit longer you might win whatever battle it is and which was for me it's it was very inspiring i think to have that just just to hear it from him that he did not want to give up because i think anyone else inside would have really felt like just hope something goes up in the air and just mm-hmm. put an end to this misery right yeah. and cuz cuz he was at the time probably feeling that you know it might be my last game if 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 he didn't do it so there was there was so much so much to so much to lose for him but mm-hmm. i'm glad yeah. glad it worked out <laughs> before we get to the last question talking about favorites i have to say i mean sorry tevatya sorry samjhan samjhan samsung i mean rian parag is my absolute favorite because and you kind of touched upon it it was it's, it's swagger you know just not just the fact that he's um you know he's just so calm and like his dance when he gets a wicket but it's i i don't know what it's about him i can't really define it but if he's bowling batting fielding i cannot take my eyes off the game him and pant are probably my two favorite youngsters and and i i would love to see him in indian colors one day um and that's that's uh, what the ipl yeah. has done i guess man that's what the ipl has done to youngsters right i mean imagine a 19 20 year old is playing with some of the legends of the game mm-hmm. he's playing against ms dhoni just he's just as calm as he would be otherwise you know he's got the same swagger he's got the same it's 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 unbelievable the confidence that these guys have and right again it's something the women would would could really do with uh, that kind of the injection of confidence you know if if they if they get that could be the game changer for for all of us in india and with respect to women's cricket 
Absolutely, absolutely. So switching to um, sort of a little bit of a serious topic, I mean, obviously with everything that's going around in the country with, you know, with reference to COVID. And um, I know in my extended circles, I've seen so many people who are, you know, struggling to find the right kind of support, um, whether it's finding hospital beds or oxygen cylinders or whatever it may be. Um, what are your thoughts about, you know, just being in this bubble in this time? Obviously, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a place of privilege that, you know, all these players and all, the, all these support staff find themselves in. And I guess a, a little bit of a sort of a curveball to that is, you know, we've heard a lot of people talk about maybe this isn't the right time for you know IPL to go on considering everything that's going on so what are your thoughts about that it is disturbing i think what we're seeing outside of the last you know even if just the last 3 4 days to be honest uh, it's it's pretty pretty disturbing and you know especially just the fact that you can't do anything to kind of uh, you know to kind of help makes you feel even worse and a lot of for me personally for a lot of the players there there is a lot of worry about people back home and uh, like the other day one of our net bowlers his parents got infected and he kind of had to leave immediately and it's a blow to us the net bowlers are a very important part of our our training and the way the team prepares so for us to lose bowlers like that kind of affects us because it's not as easy to bring in new players because they have to do an eight day quarantine and, and stuff like that um so it is it is disturbing what's happening um like like you said we probably so privileged to be in the safest place we could be in india at the moment in these in these in these bubbles and it's something everyone really appreciates the kind of effort that has gone into into creating these bubbles into making the tournament happen um whether the tournament whether it's right or not for it to happen i guess it's not it's not for me to answer but what what i feel personally is as long as people are not getting infected because of the IPL as long as the cases are not which it isn't i'm sure because everyone who's involved in the IPL is in a bubble so in a way there are more people safer because of the IPL i think um because is one way of looking at it whether it's again right or not i don't know i don't i don't know but i just feel there's so many people involved in, in involved in the IPL there are so many jobs uh, there's there's so much revenue coming in uh people making 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 a living in these tough times right from your baggage guys to to hotel staff uh, you know there might have been we've stayed in in the hotel here for now more than a month uh, and there's a lot of money that's come into the hotel which means they've been able to keep some of the you know lower income guys they've been able to give them jobs they've been able to keep them in their jobs and pay them their salaries because it is hard right it is hard for everyone especially with travel and stuff so restricted in a hotel the hotel cleaner is a very good example of someone who's who's probably kept his job because of the IPL who knows um there are guys working in the production crew and and stuff like that who in these two months will make enough money to last them a year because they might not have something to do for the rest of the year if things are going the way it is and if there's another lockdown and stuff like that so when you look at it like that you feel like you know maybe it's it's not such a bad thing after all and again for people to stay home at 7:30 and and watch the cricket and yeah it might not be as big a celebration as it would be in a normal world but i know it's something people look forward to because because what are you right. going to do otherwise you've got to stay home uh There's something to do when you're staying home at least uh you know how much yep. netflix can you watch how many movies can you watch uh, there's you know there's something from a mental side of things as well 
there's nothing like sport right and especially for a country like india where cricket is followed by so many people and so passionately it's i think it's something that keeps you engaged which which might right. be for the good of your mental health yeah i'm of that no i mean i yeah, you you kind of touched on a point that my dad sort of mentioned you know we were i was talking to him about this topic and he he mentioned one is obviously the aspect of jobs whether it's the groundsman production team you mentioned the hotel staff obviously they're able to you know put food on the table which is obviously important but yeah the other aspect was with you know lockdowns being being implemented in so many different states uh, i know my dad who's a big cricket fan he at least he knows what he's doing every every evening at 7 pm and he's not you know he's not worried about uh, just not having anything to do so i i mean i, I definitely do see that that standpoint uh, you know that point of view for sure because yeah, otherwise otherwise you're going to be watching what you're going to watch the news you're going to get a little, little more depressed and yeah i think i think cricket cricket is good for sure i think you know for someone who loves the game i don't see how cricket can harm anyone i mean yeah that's well put um you know like you mentioned like in india i think cricket more than any other religion is the biggest religion that's one thing that really unites everyone and if if that can be a source of comfort and familiarity for people who are going through unprecedented times times that no one was prepared for is that one solace i think if if it can be a source of relieving someone's anxiety and stress i think it's doing its job um and i agree you know not just the players or the coaching staff but all the other people who are involved in it from catering or from housekeeping staff you know they all have livelihoods too so it's not just easy to just dismiss it saying we don't have time for this frivolous things so yeah that that was very well put and i hope people understand that it's it, it is it is hard to accept it uh for some people which is totally understandable because everyone processes things in different ways uh but i'm glad for one i for one i'm i'm glad that it is happening um and like you said it it's not really in our hands if how long it will continue or if it'll end up being suspended but uh, as long as it is there and as long as players are out there entertaining um because that's what sport is right it's a, it's a distraction even pre pandemic sport was always going to be something that if you're not involved in the game it is a source of entertainment it's a source of distraction and that is exactly what people need right now apart from everything else mind mentioned and while i spoke about being in a bubble and stuff for some of these players it's pretty hard you know mm-hmm. they're, they're by themselves families back home yeah, so we saw all... liam livingston didn't he leave yeah. the bubble left yeah. cuz he's been in a bubble for for a long time right. starting from the big bash and stuff like that so it, it does get you cuz you're also worried about i mean these guys are human beings as well so they're worried about their families back home and uh, their parents are staying home they're not staying home um so it it is it is it's scary for everybody uh so i think which all the more credit to these guys to be able to go out there and still give it their best every game because sometimes it gets to us i mean especially for someone like me i'm like but so many of our kids who you know a couple of the kids have been tested positive and and, and stuff like that so it, it definitely worries you right but then you know that there's nothing you can really do i mean i would love to do something in whatever way we can but for these guys to be able to go out there and day in and day out okay, you know having left their families back home to be able to still go and give it their best i think it takes it takes a lot of mental toughness and a lot of heart uh to be able to do that well on that note uh arjun thank you so much for your time 
and I want to wish the best of luck to the Royals. I know they're not in the best of uh, positions I right now. This, I hope this turns things around. <laughs> I can take credit again, like the umpiring decision. Yeah. <laughs> I will take all the credit. Come in a timely manner for we that. We will take all the credit because we had you on and that kind of spurred a change. But it is a long tournament. There's a long way to go. We have seen teams make comebacks from these positions before. And in Sanjay Samson, I really feel like Rajasthan Royals found a, have found a really good leader uh, just based on how he has carried himself. Uh, so best of luck to the Royals. And I do have to say my impression of Joseph Ice have improved a lot based off this conversation. <laughs> so, <gonna> <laughs> so thank you so much for your time, uh, Arjun. And uh, yeah, best of luck for everything going forward. Thanks, Benny. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Arjun. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. You can find Arjun on Twitter at Arjun19Dave. And please do check out the Sixth Cricket community on its Facebook page. We'll also include a link to the Cricket Central Store Instagram page in our show notes. Meanwhile, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds. And do leave us a voice message if you would like to be featured on the show. Thank you for listening to us during these extraordinary times. And we hope you find this a welcome distraction from all that is going on. From all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe and stay healthy.